On the train coming to Somerset, we passed through fields covered in frost with a light mist and then the sun suddenly broke through and it's become the most staggeringly beautiful day. Blue, blue sky and bright sunshine, but cold. It's winter, so you expect that. And we're here to explore the Somerset levels and there's going to be plenty of water on hand. Kitty McFarlane was nominated for the Radio 2 Horizon Award. She's a young singer-songwriter who's really making a name for herself in the folk world. And she's making a name because she's a great songwriter who writes about nature, and she's inspired by these Somerset levels. She's going to take us on a journey through the levels today, and we'll find out more about her songwriting. Kitty, good morning. Hello. How are you? Where are we? This is quite spectacular. First of all, I just let me just talk about the weather, because we're British. It is January, but I wish I brought my sunglasses. It's such bright sunshine, bright blue sky. Did you lay this on specially yeah, for us? Yeah, I thought a word. <laughs> <laughs> this is Borough Mump, and it's one of a few, very, very few hills that kind of pop out on the Somerset levels. And they would have been islands back in the day when it was all water around here. And at this time of year, when it floods around here, you get a kind of sense of how it used to be and it feels like an island again. It's going to be um, wet underfoot, isn't it? It's a very slippy climb up the hill. And then there's a ruined church at the top. Yes, yeah. Should we climb up to that? Let's go for that. OK. It looks to me like there are almost steps cut into this hill. Is it a feature of nature or has there been some man-made intervention? It's really old, this hill, and I think that, you know, there's belief that it was carved out agriculturally, the, uh, the steps. But yeah, this hill kind of has a history, I think, throughout the ages, and they found, like, Roman coins up here, and then the fort up there was originally a medieval thing, I think, and then it was kind of rebuilt in the 18th century. I think it was unfinished. I didn't think they ever finished it. Oops. Well, it looks like well, you're right. You don't yeah. fall over. <laughs> I'm only bridging. <laughs> it looks like the, obviously it's, it's ruined now, and there's uh, no roof on part of it. But the view, the vantage point, because it's all so flat around here, is going to be wonderful, isn't it? That's the thing, because this area is just miles and miles of flat wetland. It means that when you get up high, no matter how high it is, I think this is only 24 metres up or something like that. It means you can just see for miles, which is an amazing feeling. What does Burrow Mump mean? <laughs> so Burrow Mump is actually the, it's one of those silly names that actually means hill, hill. <laughs> hill, hill. <laughs> <laughs> I think they call it tautology. It's like, um, I think there's one in Cumbria called Torpenhow Hill, which is hill, 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 hill. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if mumps, the word mumps, which gives us kind of hills in our face, comes from Burrow yeah, Mump. I wonder, yeah, I wonder. Well, there's, um, I, yeah, I love the word mump, but they use the word mump traditionally with the peat industry around here as well. And they used to dig out the mumps of peat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I can't believe the sunshine and the clarity of the view. We just wait till the top. Now, have you ever brought your guitar up here before? I haven't. I think it could be a useful sledge on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. We made it to the top. Very slippery underfoot. But boy, is it worth it. Let's just go around the corner here. How will make it down? Hello. How will make it down? How will you make it down? Did you find it difficult getting up? Yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? Oh. We're out of breath. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> want you to <laughs> So what can we see from up here? So this Some is, uh, I mean, we can see all the way across the levels to the Mendips um, and the Polden Hills. And then down there, you can see um, 
huge river confluence and that's the River Parrot winding through Burrow Bridge um, and that's actually where it meets the River Tone which crosses across to Taunton. So the Parrot's come all the way from the border of Dorset and Somerset and then it's winding its way past us here meeting with the Tone and then continuing along to um, Bridgewater. And you can see sort of 360 degrees here can't you all the way around the flat plain around us and there's an enormous amount of water down there not just in the river but uh, a lot of the fields are covered in water. It's an amazing area it has a I think it's quite a new kind of landscape natural landscape really in the grand scheme of things formed over the last 10,000 years since the ice age but um, it holds an incredible social history and that's something that really appeals to me and it's been managed for for centuries I think it was originally managed floodwise by monks in the Middle Ages and uh, these reens or rhines these kind of narrow ditches that crisscross along and you can see them everywhere if you look it's kind of it's a very uh, sort of geometric landscape because of these long ditches and uh, I think they say reens in the east of Somerset and rhines in the west <laughs> Scone and scone <laughs> it's that kind of thing isn't it <laughs> do you have a song that was inspired by here that you might sing for us yeah I do there's a song of mine called man friendship which is literally inspired by the view from this hill I wrote it after the floods in 2014 and it's it's flooded around here for centuries but and was it particularly bad in 2014? 2014 was a really bad winter, 2013 going into 2014. And uh, up here, January 2014, this was, I mean, it looks wet at the moment, but it was like 6,000 years ago when it was a sea. It was spectacular, but also, you know, a double-edged sword and uh, brought really bad news for, for so many people who lived around here. And it's been a real point of controversy ever since. People have been clamouring for more dredging of the River Parrot and actually just down there is where a lot of the dredging's happened but environmentalists obviously say that dredging's not the answer and long term we need to think about keeping the water up in the hills, slowing it down, letting rivers meander more to slow down the rush of water, maybe even reintroducing the beaver. <laughs> ah, yes, because they build dams themselves don't yeah. they and then that has a natural impact on keeping the water away from the floodplain. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So what were you inspired to write about that? Was it about the interaction between man, woman and the natural world? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's where we come into play and it's grappling with that question of intervention and how far do we go. It's a really difficult one, how we use our power over the landscape to preserve it and what we choose to preserve as well. But I think the song I wrote is also about a kind of human aspect of what is the essence of us when everything else is deluged and washed away. Like, what are we left with at our core? Well, Matt is this wind that blows kisses in my face The cold and the storm can't make me forget that taste well met is the rain that stamps lines upon this land There's not much that's sweet and simple about this place We're told the seas are rising as well. 
Kisses in my face. The cold and the storm can't make me forget that taste. And well met is the rain that stamps lines upon this land. There's not much that's sweet and simple about this place. But there is much that's sweet and simple about this race. Oh, there is much that's sweet and simple about this race. That was absolutely beautiful, thank you. You had quite an audience actually. There were <laughs> really? several people walked past over there and then there's some children arrived behind you over oh, here. Lovely. It's a busy oh, place, perfect. isn't it? Yeah, no, it does get busy on the weekend especially. Have you ever sung it up here before? No, I've not. No, I've not. So it feels really nice because when I sing it live, I quite often imagine I'm here. So you, um, what, you close your eyes and, and yeah. visualise Burrow Mump? This is just the place that I was thinking about when I wrote it. Right. So it is really nice to come and sing it up here. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it otherwise, so thanks for asking <laughs> no, me it's, to. it's brilliant that you've come and done it for us. And you can still hear the man-made intervention going on here, can't you? Because there's quite a busy road yeah. going nearby uh, on one side. This is the A361 that goes from Taunton to Glastonbury. So it's pretty busy, yeah. Can we see Glastonbury from here? We can, yeah. If we go, go around, around the, the other, other side, side, we'll be able to okay, see we'll the Glastonbury tour. Okay, we'll go and have a, a quick look at Glastonbury, shall we? Absolutely. They've got the old picnic. We should have brought a picnic. <laughs> so you can just see Glastonbury there in the distance. It's a tiny, tiny little spike on the top of a hill, and that's yes. Glastonbury it is, tour. It is quite an astonishing sight to look out from here because you can see the shape of fields and you can see the dikes that run between them, but the fields themselves have become waterlogged and there are sheets of water with grasses peeking up in between them. And you can see a really long way on all sides. And there's a kind of a ring of hills on the horizon, but up to there it's a flat, flooded plain. And the sun's glinting off the water in the most attractive way. Sort of feel like you want to go for a paddle, don't you? You want to go in there and, uh, and get your feet wet. <laughs> as, as though you could splash along yeah. through there. I think that's why it feels like such a special place because it is continually changing. I bet there's some amazing birds down there, aren't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. One of my favourites, which I saw once last year, is the bittern, which is making a bit of a comeback. Um, Incredibly rare to see those, isn't really it? Really rare, and they make these amazing noises, this booming. booming. And uh, there used to be thousands of them on the levels, and in the 1800s they went extinct, and then they've come back again. But in the 90s, they were on the brink of extinction again. I think there were 11 booming males in the whole country. And now, with a lot of work from the RSPB and the Wildlife Trusts, they're coming back again. And I think there were about 40 to 50 booming males last year. I really hope that it continues because they are an amazing part of Somerset's history and an incredible thing to hear. 
ancient and completely mesmerising. Their booms carry for miles across the land. We'll have to listen out. Yeah. And there are cranes here, aren't there now as well? There are cranes as well. That's another reintroduction project. Uh, about 30 cranes were reintroduced a few years ago and uh, they go around in massive gaggle. <laughs> I don't know what the is it a collective gang of noun cranes is. Or a- <laughs> cornucopia of cranes I don't know. <laughs> well shall we go down and go on a walk from here where, where would yeah. you like to take us so we're going to head in the direction of Athelney which is only about a mile and a half down the road and we can see it from here if you squint <laughs> um, but it's a little lump sort of another mumpy type thing with a, with a monument mump. on it okay mm. let's go and make that our objective hope we don't fall down on the way down you can see our shadows they're really long because the, the sun's quite low in the sky, but it's very, very bright. And the underfoot is very muddy. <laughs> the stripes on the hill are amazing. It does look as though somebody's built steps up it, doesn't it? Yeah, I, think, I feel like it reminds me of rice paddies in Thailand, used for agriculture. They don't really act as steps, though. They're more like a <laughs> slalom or slide. Now, this is a really particularly... <laughs> Slippy bit. <laughs> so we're going to go through a gate here, are we? And then... Yeah, we'll just go through this little foot gate and then down into Furrow Bridge, which is the town here. So, Kitty, we're just walking past a pub called the King Alfred. Yeah. He was big news around here, wasn't he, King yeah, Alfred? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was the man. Um, yeah, actually, where we're heading towards Athelney was a stronghold of Alfred's. He took on the great um, heathen army. He did, and he hid out from the Danes here. And uh, you can see how it used to be really marshy and covered in reeds. I can just love the uh, image of him and his army kind of hiding in the reeds. And but we're crossing the river now, in, across the... the this must be Burrow Bridge. Yeah. And there are plenty of cars coming the other way, but the river's very high, isn't it, today? Really high, and uh, you can see they've put in walls here just stop it from flooding but yeah this area of the parrot gets very high and fast as well and we're now going to walk turn and walk along the river on the towpath tell us about your connection with this place here were you born and brought up in Somerset yes I was born in Taunton in the hospital in Taunton and then grew up in a little village called Milverton over towards Taunton way and did you connect with nature as a kid yeah, I was born in a very rural area and I was just fascinated with nature growing up. That was where I spent all my time, outside in a hedge somewhere or <laughs> under a tarpaulin. I mean, I was a real nerd when I was a kid. <laughs> right. So what did you collect? Did you have pets and things in yeah. your house? Well, we had the kind of normal kind of chickens and we had a dog and um, we had an axolotl as well, which my godfather, who was a biology teacher, bred these axolotls. And but he was always giving us strange creatures. Axolotl is a kind of Mexican aquatic salamander. Oh. Um, Where did you keep it? In a tank. Right. In, in the, your bedroom in or the in your sitting room? Shed. Oh, in the potting shed, right. How big was it? It grew to about, I mean, probably three quarters of a foot, I'd say. It was given to the family when I was born by my godfather. What to mark not, the occasion? Not really in a ritualistic way. That sounds a bit weird. <laughs> um, but they think they lived to about 10 years or something. And. Um, it died when I was 23, wow. so it, it had a good old life. And um, what was its name? Axie. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, I get that picture. <laughs> and did you have things in your bedroom as well? Did you bring the natural world into your bedroom like some yeah, kids do? Yeah, um, well, I had, I had this tank full of stick insects, which was, were also given to me by my godfather. And they were brilliant because, you know, they were tiny little scraps of life at the beginning and they grow to these sort of really long trunky things and I loved them and I was kind of terrible really I was obsessed with caterpillars and I'd gather all the caterpillars from the nasturtiums in the garden and uh, watch them and draw them and I found this elephant hawk moth caterpillar which if anyone knows what they look like they'll understand they're just incredible huge eyes on the side of them and they're about a few inches long and kind of a velvety really soft kind of skin and they eventually form elephant hawk moths and what did you do with it? Kept it in a tank. <laughs> uh, made a project of it. I've got a project at home. I think this is back when I was about eight or something. And um, drew it and studied it. And I was just completely obsessed with it. And then eventually all... mum made me let it go. In, into the garden? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and were your mum and dad interested in nature as well? 
yeah, it definitely came from from them. And uh, I think just also being born around that area and and um, spending so much time outside um, just meant that it kind of seeped in. Well, we're um, going to cross the road again now, aren't we? Just to cross another bridge. But there's a big hill at the the back of our house where I grew up, and um, there are these amazing badger sets up there. I think badgers have been such a kind of constant presence in my childhood and uh, the tracks that they leave behind them in the field tracing them and the way they just come out after dark was always really exciting but yeah from the top of the hill you could see all across the village and I used to go up there and sing because I was so embarrassed to sing in the house I didn't want anyone to hear me when I was little and I'd go up the hill and just walk around singing at the top of my voice because I thought it was my private space what sort of things did you sing I have not, I, at the top of my voice, anything, I think. But uh, a neighbour then said that she she could hear me, so I was mortified. <laughs> really? So you stopped singing for a bit? <laughs> <laughs> so when did music come into your life? Was that something, again, that came from your family? Not so much, really. Um, I started playing guitar when I was 11. Both my parents are artists, so I think it kind of manifested itself in a different way with me. So they're visual artists? Visual artists. Mum's a textiles designer and Dad's a jewellery maker. And when I grew up, we were making things with our hands and crafting things and mending things and generally being creative was really important. So I think that kind of came out in a way with me in songwriting. And the guitar, when I picked it up when I was 11, it was a, immediately a tool for expression rather than a theoretical thing. So... When I started learning, it was with this brilliant guitar teacher called John, who just said, what songs do you want to learn straight away? And uh, I had this old guitar that Dad had had when he was growing up, um, and he kind of noodled on every now and then. It was a tiny little nylon string guitar, and it had all the laminate flaking off on the front to the point where it was just shedding laminate all everywhere. And Dad just took the electric sander to it. <laughs> so I oh, ended really? up with this guitar that sort of looked a bit like a bit of MDF. But we learnt, uh, I think I did like Nora Jones when I first started, Ralph McTell, Streets of London, uh-huh. that was one of the first ones. And you must have realised that there was something about expressing yourself in that way that, that struck a, if you'll excuse the expression, struck a chord with you. Yeah, I think um, I was itching to start writing my own songs straight away and that took over when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with it. And writing about nature? And writing about nature, I, I never really wanted to write about my own experiences at first I started writing songs about kind of observing my life around me and I wrote one about my local bus which I used to sing down the village it was called bus song (laughs) and it was about the 25b that took me from Milverton to Taunton and back and then I started writing more about um, the natural world around me but I think ever since I started really I've been interested in you know mankind and humanity in the natural world even from the very beginning I'm wondering if you might sing us another song yeah You've got a song called Glass Eel yeah, tell I us do. about that Glass Eel is a song I wrote a couple of years ago and it's ostentatiously about eels which are my favourite creature and what's a glass eel for those who don't know a glass eel is a, a young eel it's called a glass eel because they are see-through at that stage and completely transparent. They're tiny little sort of noodle-looking things. And uh, the thing that makes them incredible is that they have travelled all the way across the Atlantic Ocean from the Sargasso Sea, which is nearly 4,000 miles, where they're born in the Sargasso and then they kind of waft over as larvae. And then somewhere along the way, as they kind of near the continental shelf, they start forming into eels and at first they're glass eels and then elvers and then they progress on to become silver eels and fully grown European eels and then they live up in the fresh waters of well especially around here in the southwest for the whole of their adult life just happily in fresh water having kind of gone through all this salt water to get here and then around 10 years in 15 years in some inexplicable trigger in them happens and they are driven to turn round and swim back down all the rivers they came through and out into the ocean again 
and make their way all the way across the Atlantic back to the Sargasso Sea to give birth and spawn and then they die and it's a weird one-off cycle that science can't really explain. It's a most extraordinary story isn't it? Yeah it's, uh, it's Did amazing. you see the eels? I mean did you experience the eels yourself? Well they're, they're everywhere around here but they are critically endangered now and I did a bit of citizen science monitoring work with a group from Bristol further near the coast and we gathered little glass eels in the dead of night to monitor them and then put them on the other side of a dam um, because things like dams and weirs are really obstructing their route. So you're giving them a a helping hand? Yeah, I mean there are things like eel passes that help them cross over those borders. Why do you think they made such an impression on you? I think it's something to do with the fact that they're quite a sinister, dark creature. People historically have associated them as being quite a sombre thing, potentially quite malicious and living in brackish water and in the shadows and coming alive at night. Tales and folk stories of them travelling across open land, which they do. And the cyclical nature of their migration and their life, I think, is fascinating. But also, for me, it was around the time of the great decision in the UK. The referendum. The referendum. And we were talking about borders and boundaries and our connection to the rest of the world. And it seemed so parallel to our own human plight. Fragmentation of the rivers and the loss of intertidal and wetland habitats to the fishes wrought on a global scale by man. And And the eels don't see any boundaries. Quite reassuring to think that nature keeps going and it doesn't care about those lines that we draw. And that there's this huge centrifuge of movement that is constantly shifting that we shouldn't forget that we are part of. I think that's really important and a really positive thing to be part of. Who was there when Pangea spoke? Who saw borders break and continents drift? When shifting rock and heat of time cleft plains apart, pushed ice to brine, Trade winds and the westerlies The push and pull of the child The glass eel chasing estuaries To ford and fen to mud and mire And as the leaves are doomed to bruise And the fruit is bound for falling We are all Skies and racing ocean 
eternity Mindless of the irony That while patient science adds fact to fact Hasty man draws lines on map so beautiful. I was just hoping you might have charmed some eels out of the water, but sadly they haven't I turned I heard up. a splash at one point. <laughs> That's so gorgeous. And it's interesting about, uh, we were talking the other day about protest songs and what had happened to protest songs, but there's some protest in that song, isn't there? Yeah, I think, um, for me, I, I don't think protest songs need to be sort of a shouty, aggressive thing. I think they can be soft as well. And for me, it's definitely a, a protest against what we're leaning towards throughout the world of, of breaking up everything and um, putting up walls and, and boundaries and especially at the time when I was writing it with the huge refugee crisis as well and the inhumanity of it all. It's really beautiful to watch the slow flowing water eddying its way past us here with the sun reflected in it. But there's something very calming about walking by rivers, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. I think there's something about thinking about where they've come from as well and the fact that this has started off in, in some hill somewhere and it's made its way all the way here. And now it's a big, big river yeah. here, isn't it? So we've, we've arrived at Athelney, which is big King Alfred territory. That's, that... This is the monument, that little thing on top of that hill. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. But this used to be a huge um, fortification here, and this is where he he set up a monastery here in, I think, 880s or something, after defeating the Vikings. But there's a great story about him when he was escaping with his men from Chippenham, and they retreated across the levels, hiding out from the Danes. They all stayed with, supposedly, locals around here, and he stayed with this village woman, and um, she asked him to watch her cakes in the oven and he let them burn. <laughs> I just love that. So but he's not the man to do baking with, he's King not, Alfred. He's not a good baker, but um, supposedly the Victorians made that story up, so I don't even know <laughs> that that's true. It's a apocryphal story. Now, if, if we go back this way, can we head off to a nature reserve and see some bird life? Yeah, so this area is amazing for that, and who knows what we'll see. So where have we come to now, Kitty? So this is one of my favourite reserves. It's called RSPB Grey Lake on the levels and uh, it's got these amazing sedge and reeds. Well, the reeds are huge and just stretching away as far as the eye can see on, on both sides of us here as we walk down this path. They just create this amazing golden colour and, um, and coming here at the beginning or the end of the day is, is really spectacular. I mean, it's beautiful now as well and we're heading towards the cacophony of sound. This is a, an amazing spot for overwintering birds on their way through Europe. So what would we hear here? Coots and moorhen, loads of teal come here, tufted ducks, snipe here as well. I was walking this path the other day and, and saw this huge flock above my head and I thought it was starlings from a distance because they were doing similar kind of shapes and things. But they were a bit bigger and I got closer and um, they were golden plover, which I think have come from sort of Siberia and, and northern Europe. And it was quite an amazing sight, thousands and thousands of golden plover. You quite often hear bitterns here as well. Well, I'm hoping for that. I've been hoping right since the beginning when you <laughs> mentioned that there were bitterns around the place that we might hear one. But I bet the odds are against us, don't you think? Oh, I really hope we do. Well, there's a lovely signs along the path here pointing out things that you should watch out for. Dragonflies, grass snakes. Yeah, it's an amazing spot. A lot of this area and the other nature reserves around here, RSPB Ham Wall and Shapwick Heath, have been kind of put in place. I'm not sure about Grey Lake in particular, but they've been put in place where the peat industry used to be, carved into the landscape. So we can just see on our right now the water's opened up through the reeds. And there's quite an expanse of, of water there. Is there a bird hide here? There is a bird hide we're heading towards. Oh, yes, yes, sure. Hello. Hi. And we can begin to hear the chorus of the birds making a real noise. There are sort of, there are dikes or, or, or cuttings through the reeds going here where the water's coming mm. in. 
it's amazing today actually because the sun the sun is dazzling in our eyes and reflecting back off that still water yeah it creates these incredible shapes through the reeds and you can sometimes see sort of moorhens just dotting across every now and then but i love the rustling of the reeds it just has so much promise and potential and there's a little bit of frost underfoot here actually in the shade where the sun hasn't quite caught it so you can see that it's a cold but bright day a load of lapwing going over at the moment oh yes they've got such distinctive flappy wings i always think they look quite funny in the sky there's a lot of them aren't there loads so of starlings coming in as well you can see them in small little gatherings but they're they're all going to make their way over to Hamwall and Shapwick where they're going to roost overnight. And is that where you see the murmurations of starlings? That's that's it, that's the murmuration site and um, they do it on either side of the road, Shapwick or Hamwall, but you can ring the starling hotline to find out where they roosted the night before, which is great. And what's it like to see them all take off into that murmuration? One of the most amazing things, I think it's... um, I mean, you start seeing flocks kind of coming over the water or above your head, just small kind of gatherings, and you think that's it, and it's kind of amazing. But then all the flocks eventually join together into this incredible swirling mass that is is like a... It's like one creature moving as one rather than hundreds of thousands. And sometimes if there's a predator, if there's a marsh harrier or a peregrine or kestrel or something, then they'll swirl and take up and twist into these strange formations that you might have seen and it happens at sunset it happens at sunset just if you you get the half an hour before dusk that's the best time to see it and especially when the light's kind of good and it's you can see them against the sky it's incredible but the noise of them moving as well is just unbelievable and when it comes over your head this this massive cloud and it's sort of a whooshing flutter of wings and it's it's a roar as well it's it's amazing you wrote a song about it i think i did (laughs) (laughs) would you sing it for us yeah yeah absolutely we stop and let the sky take hold of our breath as the last of the evening light flees to the west stars they soon will start to pace overhead like the rush in a seashell or a hum in the maze or the mutter of pages turned in haze the banks of the river brew lie folded in pleas like the lines that the morning left pressed into your cheek and the sun of fading creature shivers with your heartbeat they fly over the stories held in the peat telling their own in a million like the rush in a seashell or a hum in the maze or the mutter of pages turned in haze above the leviathan assembles in the sky it's like watching a thought take hold in someone else's eyes and i wish i could hear all the thoughts in your mind and then everything falters and everything falls like the hush before breakers shatter the shore they fly over the stories held in the peat, telling their own in a million wingbeats, like the rush in a seashell, or a hum in the maze, or the mutter of pages turned in haste. That's glorious. Such a wonderful image about the pages. Um, I saw 
production of the Magic Flute by Complicite once, where the chorus all carried pamphlets and then they turned them into birds wow. and they flapped them in the air and they made that rustling sound of the birds' yeah. wings. It's such a wonderful image. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's the, the rustling of pages when you're flicking a book. They only make that sound because of the page after them and, and all the other pages in the book. And I have something about that with the wings and the birds and all the birds together making a sound that's much bigger than just themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Should we walk to the bird hide? Yeah, let's do yeah. that. This area is known for its willow as well, and all these hedges are made of willow. And you can see these kind of pollarded stumps of willow trees that have been kind of trimmed over the years for basket making and... And fence making. There's a fence over fence there, they made out of it. <laughs> Eel traps. Yeah. And there are hundreds of birds here, aren't there? Over to our right, uh, where the hides are. You can probably hear them in the background. What are we seeing? So there's loads of teal around there and then lots of shoveler as well, shoveler ducks, which are quite funny because they've got these kind of literal shoveler-shaped beaks that they kind of rummage around in the mud with. And there's some ducks I'm a bit iffy on. I think they're poachers. I'm not very good with bird calls, actually. That's something that I want to learn. <laughs> I want to work on. So we're just going into the hide now. Welcome to the lookout hide. Maybe we'll have to be quiet in there, but there'll be plenty to listen to. Hello. Hello. We're just recording a podcast. Do you mind if we just chat no, for a second? Are. I don't want to disturb you. Yeah, no, no. Thank you very much. Thank you. We can open up the side windows as well if you want more of a... Notice one's coming over. Oh yes. Four of them, they're coming directly towards us like sort of dive bombers, aren't they? <laughs> Some very big telephoto lenses here. people in the hide because um, they always know more than me and so if something interesting happens then they'll comment on it. When I was uh, recording the found sound for the backdrop of Starling Song for my album I went, got up very early and headed down to Ham Wall which is just near here and sat in a hide in the Avalon hide for about an hour from five till six and there was one other man in the hide and I thought I was going to be on my own and typical, you know, in the morning there'd be someone there that early. I was a bit miffed and he, I think he was a bit miffed that I was there as well but by the end of the hour long time that we spent there we kind of ended up pointing out things to each other silently because he was taking photos and I was recording and uh, we saw a bittern flying low across the reeds. You keep mentioning the bitterns and I haven't seen one yet. Okay. <laughs> They don't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of activity, isn't there? A lot of movement of the birds swimming around. Yeah, very, very busy. And just to describe it as just a big sheet of water teeming with birds of all kinds. A lot of duck, I think. Lots of different ducks. And uh, I can see an egret over that side. See the white egret to the left of that pylon in the distance, standing tall. Yes, oh yes. I take it you never go anywhere without your binoculars. If, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah such a lemurette. I saw a snipe here the other day and they're so sweet looking. They're tiny and they've got really long beaks. I was thinking he's actually like looking down on a small town, isn't it? You know, you can see different communities going yeah. about their business and there's a whole lot of people lined up along one side and then some of the birds are on uh, little outcrops of land in the yeah. middle of the water, others are hurrying along in the small groups. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you know, looking down on, on a series of communities interacting with each it other. It is, it is, yeah. It's, it's a very social scene. Yeah. Kitty, I was surprised to find that you were a fan of John Taverner. Well, perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised to find that you were a fan of John Taverner. How did that happen? 
Well, this song of his, The Lamb, is this profoundly moving kind of four-part harmony version of a William Blake poem. And I love William Blake poems. And I heard it first, we studied it in school, and it's one of those songs that once you've heard it once and you've got it in your head, it kind of follows you around. And it's got these really strange dissonances in it. And it's really unpredictable, but it's also quite hymnal. But the poem itself is kind of fraught with questions about humanity and why we're here. And I think there's something about the way the music kind of clashes and moves into different tonalities that really chimes well with the poem. And when I was coming across this song in the first place, I was exploring more of Somerset and I kind of ended up associating it in my head with this particular spot on the North Somerset coastline, just north of Bridgewater, in Bridgewater Bay, where the River Parrot meets the Bristol Channel. And it's called Steart Marshes around there, and it's a wild fowl and wetlands trust. But and it's also near to a nuclear power station. It's right next it? to Hinkley Point Nuclear Power Station. And so Hinkley's on the left, if you're looking out across Bristol Channel, and Cardiff's on the other side of the channel. And on your right is Burnham on Sea with this little white-legged lighthouse standing on the sand. And it's one of those places that is really peaceful and, and beautiful, but is also in the heart of modern-day living. It's really... you can't escape it. It's not it's one of those... junction between nature and man. It's complete clashing point. It's a meeting point of nature and artifice and salt water from the ocean coming to join fresh water and, and a meeting point of all sorts of things like that. And so I wrote a kind of my version of the William Blake poem, using Taverner's version as a springboard, I guess. And it sort of nods to, to the Taverner version in the first couple of intervals and then kind of takes its own path. Would you sing it for us here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Little lamb, who made thee? Does thou know who made thee? Gave thee life and bid thee feed by the stream and o'er the mead. Gave thee clothing soft as the white-legged lighthouse standing guard at Burnham 
Tankers of Avonmouth pass by Steep And the power lines cast herring boats in the sky Don't ask who made this, my lad Don't ask who made all this, my love Kitty, thank you so much for sharing your music with us and for showing us the birds and the water and the Somerset levels. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been such a treat showing someone else all my favourite places and <laughs> taking you off around the countryside. Well, frankly, they're my favourite places now too, so I'm <laughs> going to come back. Kitty McFarlane on the Somerset Levels. Well, I do hope you're enjoying Season 5 of Folk on Foot. Don't forget we're entirely dependent on donations from our listeners to keep Folk on Foot going. So if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution and get some great rewards, why not sign up to become a patron? All you have to do is go to folkonfoot.com and click on the Support Us button. And there are more than 30 brilliant episodes of Folk on Foot for you to explore with top artists walking in the landscapes that have inspired them all over the UK. So do have a listen. Listen.